We are continuing in our series um, where we're learning from a book called Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. And really understanding that missional people are all they're doing is they're beginning to reflect and relate to a highly missional God. And so what we realize is that if we become missional like God, it surprises the world. It's a very surprising behavior. So the name of the book is Surprise the World. And what we've been looking at is breaking that into this acronym about blessing people, uh, eating with others, listening to the Holy Spirit, and learning about Christ. Uh, and then um, the L in this acronym, BELLS, is really journaling and understanding the ways that we are sent. Uh, we have been, uh, last two Sundays, talking about learning about Jesus. Uh, I thought Estella did a great job uh, with that. Uh, last week, as she shared, we're going to kind of pick up where she left off. But I had, um, I had something, <clears throat> I'm sorry, where she left off. And she talked about three ways to learn more about Jesus. And the first one was to let the Holy Spirit teach you about Jesus. The truth is, the Bible, you can read the words. But what makes those words have power is the presence of God in you in those words. There is, the truth is, there's nothing really powerful about a Bible. And, and, and I think people can be um, they, can, they can actually move into idolatry with a Bible. <clears throat> uh, years ago, I was teaching a youth group. We had a bunch of visitors that were kind of gangbanger people from the inner city. And I had my Bible, and I read from it. And then when I finished reading from it, I just kind of, you know, did like that, and it went to the floor. I noticed the look on these guys' faces. Now, these guys are out every night terrorizing the neighborhood. But that was offensive to them. And I saw that look on their face, and they, they, they were uncomfortable. And I saw that, and I decided I needed to capitalize on that. I said, does that bother you guys? I, I picked this up. It, it bothers you if I just, and I kind of threw it down that time. Now two of them were standing up. They were ready to do some business here. This was wrong. What I was doing was wrong. <clears throat> and... These are guys that don't know there's a New Testament and an Old Testament. Now, it's good that they have some respect for the written word. That's a good thing. What Jesus would like for them to do is get to know the God, the Savior, that that book talks about. God would love for you to respect him the way you do that book. Jesus would love for you to acknowledge the, and to honor him the way they honored the book they've never opened. You see, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is what makes it come alive. It what, it's what makes it real. The second thing she shared with us is that the experiences, these are my words, but let the experiences change your thinking and your life. Let those things take place in you. And she talked about let repentance have its way. Allow the word to make these changes. And as you do, you're going to learn. And the third thing she shared is let it be perfected in community with others also. Let it be perfected in community. That the word and the spirit are realized completely in community. Now, if you were to... If you were around me very much, speaking about community, I have not been a fan of community. I know that probably sounds terrible, doesn't it? But I'm probably come full circle on this, and what I really feel like is I'm not a fan of most church community. I, I think if I were to be really, really honest, and if you were to be really honest there are people that you know better, that you have more in common with, and you'd rather hang out with than me. You know, when something good happens, you probably are not calling me. When you get an extra ticket to the Astros game, you're probably not calling me. 
I know you're not calling me. <laughs> None of you have ever called me. No. <clears throat> I'm kidding. The, my point is, we have lots of opportunity in our families, in our life for community to hang out, eat some barbecue, watch a ball game, <laughs> fight and argue. You know, we, we, we can get all that done. Never leave home. <clears throat> but see, that's not the community it's talking about there. It's talking about community where I'm encouraged and challenged. Where I find Jesus honored and I'm reminded of Jesus in a way that feeds my soul. I, I desperately need that community. I need that community. That community completes me. You see, we have... <clears throat> we have lost some of our edge with Jesus. Jesus is a historical character. Jesus is an authoritarian. He's someone that has authority. Jesus is someone that we know forgives us and loves us. Um, and yet, you know... I think we stand at a distance from him a little bit. Yet Jesus is a fascinating person. And if he were here, most of us would probably really want to go to lunch with him. What does he eat? I mean, is he okay with burgers? Does he like sliders? Is he a hot sauce guy? You see, if, if we were to think about all the ways that lunch could be interesting with Jesus, does he pray before a meal? Does he pray to the Father? Do they hold hands? Does he hold hands? Wouldn't you be looking at that? He's at the table and you kind of go, are we going to hold hands? Is that what we do with Jesus here? What does he do? He's kind of the authority on table prayer, right? And, and so, is he going to break the bread and serve it to us? And <clears throat> so, you see, I think we could find him interesting. So, I have a little bit of a clip for you. His charm is so contagious, vaccines have been created for it. Years ago, he built a city out of blocks. Today, over 600,000 people live and work there. He is the only man to ever ace a Rorschach test. Every time he goes for a swim, dolphins appear. Alien abductors have asked him to probe them. If he were to give you directions, you'd never get lost, and you'd arrive at least five minutes early. His legend precedes him, the way lightning precedes thunder. He is the most interesting man in the world. You know, I think about this most interesting man in the world. I think, why wouldn't we see Jesus that way? When there's a storm, he calms it. If there's too much water, not a way to get there, he walks across it. He invites others to join him. He is on this mountain, and then all of a sudden he's on top of that mountain. His friend dies, he just raises him from the dead. You never really quite know what he's going to pull out of his hat. To go to lunch with him would be far more interesting than does he hold hands for prayer? You don't know what he's going to do. You kind of just want to sit and watch. And when that table next to you you know, they're, they're drinking, they're fighting, they're arguing about the ball game, and you're watching him. You want to know what he's going to do. Is he going to bring fire from heaven? Is he going to go over and explain to them? Is he going to wipe them out with love? I mean, just pour love over them. What is he going to do? What will I do? You know, he starts working the room, and all of a sudden I go, I'm with him. I'm with him. We're together. 
He's picking up my check. Maybe. I think he will. Maybe I'm picking up his. I don't know. You see, I, I see Jesus as really the most interesting man in the world. And he does build cities. And I'll bet you dolphins do swim with him. And if there's an alien out there, he knows about it. And he doesn't even have to probe them. He created them. <laughs> you see, that's Jesus. But we don't see him that way. Often we lose the fervor of those stories. We lose the power of how they can command our attention. And so he loses our attention. It, it matters how that works for you in your head. So you see, how well do you know Jesus? This is about knowing. How well do you know him? How well have you read the red letters? How well have you pondered who he is? How have you let the, the understanding, the facts, the, the history that we know about him and what he talks about before that time and after that time, how well do you know that stuff? How well do you know him? So I want to add a question to that. Because they're connected in a way you cannot separate them. How well do you know you? How well do you know you? We're going to pull this out of John 5.33. Actually, John chapter 5. Are you enjoying Jesus for a while? Now, he's talking to the religious leaders. Jesus is. And he's challenging them on something because, you see, they went and they got baptized by John. They found repentance in John. They lined up and they were baptized through John the Baptist. They reconnected with the, with the history, the roots, and the faith of their father in heaven. And Jesus says, you have sent to John, meaning you've sent people to connect with John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it so that you may be saved. Do you see that line? They have gone through a baptism of repentance, and Jesus is talking about them getting saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy the light. You chose for a time to enjoy the light. You repented. You acknowledged God. And you chose for a time to enjoy that. I think the church is filled with many people who have enjoyed the light for a time. And some of us, we don't really even enjoy the light that much anymore. We just still show up. We know about the light. We maybe have experienced the light. But the light is not producing salvation. The, the passage goes on in, ver, in verse 36. My question as I pose it, there is much more to me, Jesus is speaking, the real story of me, but you reject it. You see, repentance just begins the process of knowing Jesus. Repentance says, I don't know everything. God really is God. And now I need to focus on real truth and real understanding through him. Which means I have to humble myself and call him right. And when I do that, what he's saying is, now you're ready for the real story. Jesus is saying, I have a testimony weightier than that of John's. 
For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. Jesus is saying, listen, this is a big deal. This goes beyond repentance. I'm here to finish work, and I'm doing that work. Do you understand that? Do you understand I am here on an assignment from the Father? Do you understand that? And do you understand that this is the work I've been given to do, and it's deeper and further and beyond what John the Baptist was doing? What I'm doing is what you need to know. What I'm doing is what you have to get in order to go forward. The very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You see, if we want to get to know Jesus, all of this going back and forth stuff will begin to matter. Because it mattered to Jesus. He's talking about himself. Do you want to know Jesus? There it is right there. What he's talking about becomes important if you want to understand something about the most interesting man in the world. He goes on. The second part of verse 37, look at this. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. These are men that made a life of studying the Scripture. These are men that repented when John's ministry came through. These are men that were in the synagogue every week. This is what the most interesting man is saying. You don't know him. You haven't seen him. You haven't heard him. And his word is not in you. I'm saying, if you want to know Jesus, look here. And you can see, to know Jesus is to know you. He is going to show you himself through you. You will see him. You will see his image through your life through your story. He is showing them Jesus himself. He's showing them the Father, but he's doing it through their circumstances and their life. Now, you might be sitting here, if you were a religious leader here and going, wow, that kind of stings, you know? That's in my discomfort zone. I would like to take exception to one part of what you just said. I want you to explain what word really means. I want to take exception. Why did you say that? I think it's okay to have those questions. If you're ready to hear the answer. Jesus goes on. You study the scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So he says, the very scriptures you read for eternal life have no power to give you eternal life. There is no power in those words to do anything for you except, he says, one thing. They condemn you. Because what they do is they speak of me. And the question is, did you hear those words? So Jesus says, the scripture, in our case, we call it the Bible. The Bible talks about Jesus, but it's not Jesus. The Bible talks about salvation, but it's not salvation. The Bible communicates and brings life, but it is not life. So Jesus is communicating there's something deeper. There's something deeper. And you have to be willing 
to do that with me. I am the deep road. All things, I am the long and winding road that brings you to this door. Here's some hindrances to learning about Jesus. I'm going to give you two and a half. One is pride. A pride is a subtle creature. I think we don't realize it most of the time. Pride is when I say something like this. I don't get it. And I stop there. I don't get it. I tried that. You know, we can, we can, I can, I can find all these reasons to stop going forward. And I can do that in anything, not just with God. It's why I don't lose weight. It's why I don't go back to school. It's why I don't this. It's why I don't that. I can make up reasons to not do anything. And some of those are going to be real. When I used to teach flying, and I'd have a student come out, and, you know, through April and uh, March and April and into parts of May, we'd have fog every morning over in LaPorte. You know, here's somebody driving 30 miles, get there at 8 o'clock or 7.30 for a flight, and it cancels because of fog. Then the next day it cancels because of fog. The next day it cancels because of fog. The next day they come, and there's no fog, but the airplane's broken. And the next day it's this, and the next day it's that. They say, you know, I'm never going to learn to fly. This is just stupid. I'm just wasting my life. Yeah, you've got some real good reasons to quit. Every day there's a reason to quit. I, I really just want to know one thing. Do you still have a reason not to quit? Is there still a reason? You see, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to learn about Jesus, it is available to you and I. That is available to you and I. That's a promise. We can know Jesus. But there will be lots of reasons to stop. Lots of reasons to hit the autopilot. Pride stops us. It gives us the right to stop. It's a right. Pride is a right. It gives me the right to quit. It gives me the right to give God a boundary. I'm not going to do that. You know, for about 10 years, I told God no. And I would say that to his face. That's the word I would use, no. And my reason was he owed me answers. I look back now, I feel like that was incredibly arrogant on my part. But it's where I was. It's where I was. Pride allows you to stay right there and stop. Pride allows that to be the point where the pursuit of Jesus stops, where it gets arrested. So you see, there's always a phrase that can work in your life in the practical ways and the practical places where you're stuck. I'm stuck. What could somebody say after that who wants to continue to pursue Jesus? Somebody give me something. But, thank you very much. Therefore, Therefore you see, I have to put something after stuck or I'm stuck. I have to put something after stuck or my seeking to learn him is stopped. And I've stopped it for whatever that reason. I'm stuck, but I believe Jesus can unstick me. And so therefore I will continue to seek and pursue him. I can't forgive that person. But I know that forgiveness is a part of my heritage through Jesus. I will pursue that forgiveness because I know it's real and it's for me 
And it is how I will know Jesus better than I ever will. You see, pride must be arrested where you're stuck and you must put another word behind it that leads you back into the search for the most interesting man in the world. Proverbs 16, 5, the Lord says, it says he detests all the pride, the proud of heart. It won't go unpunished. It says in the scripture, he resists the proud. It says that he tears down what the proudful, what the prideful have built. You can draw lines anywhere you want, but it won't change his story. What it does is it declares yours. You see, the story of you and the story of Jesus are connected. And we can draw lines in the sand, but it won't move his story. His story will say the same. You just won't know his story. All you will know is your last line. I'm not going to do it. I don't care. I quit. It doesn't work. I give up. I'm too busy. I'm too old. I'm too young. I have questions. It's great to have questions. But if you stop there, then pride has arrested you. Because that's not a place that we can stop and survive and live. If there were a, a safe, millions of dollars in it, I said, you can have the money. Here's the combination. Four, 14, 32, nine. You write those down very carefully. You go over to the safe and it won't open. What would you do? Doesn't work. There's no money. Forget it. Bill lied to me. Would you be on your phone? Bill, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. Did I get it wrong? What did I do wrong? Do you go left, right, right, left? You see, you would pursue. You would be after the prize. And see, in that case, you thought enough of me. You trusted the story is real. You see, it's about trusting Jesus. The story is real. And see, that's what he's communicating in his text in, in, in John. He's saying, my story is real. It's a bigger story. It's a grander story. But it's a story you're going to need to go forward. You're going to need to know this about me. And you're going to need to know this about you. Because right now, here's what you don't know. I'm going forward in the Father. I am finishing the work. And you're stuck. And I'm calling you to follow me. Another reason, another hindrance that we have learning about Jesus is the fear of man. And I will actually say fear in general. You might remember the story. It's in John chapter 9. Um, and Jesus healed this a boy who was blind from birth. And, uh, and so he's going around, I'm healed. And, uh, you know, the religious leaders were upset about the commotion. Why? Because people were starting to follow Jesus. They were starting to follow because of this. It was, it was taking away their power. So you see, they were afraid of losing power. It, they didn't care whether he really got healed. You see the problem there? Do you see the problem? Somebody is miraculously healed. You don't care about that. You don't care about the guy's eyes. You don't care that other people could be healed, that maybe you could empty out a couple of hospitals. What you care about is this guy is messing with your power base. That's called fear. They were afraid. They were afraid of what Jesus was doing to them. Their prestige, their authority, their power, their place and their setting in the community, they were afraid. And so they were taking a defensive posture and an aggressive posture with Jesus. But it gets worse. In verse 20, 
We know, because they asked the parents, hey, tell us what really happened. These are the parents on the line. We know he's our son. That we know. And we know he was born blind. That we know. But how can he see now, or who opened his eyes? We do not know. The truth is, they do know. That is a lie. They are lying. They know why their son can see. Their son, who was born blind, is now seeing. Wouldn't that be a reason to celebrate? Wouldn't you want to shout that? But they didn't. They lied instead because they were afraid. So you have the afraid that are oppressing people who become afraid. This is our world. And Jesus steps in and says, if you know me, if you get to know me, if you become friends with the most interesting man in the world, you will find that you could be on a beer commercial saying, and fear runs from him wherever he goes. Or a laxative commercial or any kind of commercial you want to make. He's 18. He's of age. Let him speak for himself. Let him sink his own ship. Let us throw our son under the bus. Verse 22, his parents said, said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They weren't even afraid for their life. They didn't want to lose their position in the synagogue. Now, we can talk about these folks and vilify them and how sorry parents they are, and we could say all that kind of thing, but, but here's the truth. To know Jesus is to know he's talking their story so that you and I could better understand our own story. To say I'm better than these parents to sets me up for another lesson. There's a little bit of me in every bad story in the Scripture. A little bit of me. Fear can challenge. I believe fear and pride in some way kind of come together. There's this this place where we become just despondent. It's just really a hardened. We don't try anymore. We're on autopilot. We're still suffering in the same place of really being far from the knowing that sets us free. So whether we're hard-hearted, <clears throat> meaning we're, we're just uh, shut down to what Jesus is doing. We're not, you know, we're not there, we're not here, we're not mad, we're not angry, we're not anything. We're just showing up. Or we have fear or pride. You see, all of these things stop the learning process. So as you can see from last week and this week, the learning process is not about reading the Bible. It includes that. To read the scripture about Jesus is a wonderful thing. But as you see in this, they studied the scripture daily. But they did not experience him. And so you see, to know Jesus is to experience him. For the experiences of your life, that becomes the core place of knowing more about Jesus. Who he is, why he is, what he is, where he's going, what he thinks, how he thinks. That is taught to you in the experiences of your life. 
That's where they come from. As we go into life experiences with Jesus, we will learn about the most interesting man in the world, the red letters in the New Testament. We will learn about that guy. We will be able to speak about that guy. So number one, experiencing Jesus is where you learn him. You can read about him. You can write about him. You can go to school and study about him. But at the end of the day, all that is going to have to take on some live role in your life. Number two, your thoughts, your values, your dreams, your pain, your, your disagreements, your disappointments, all that stuff. We have to include Jesus in those parts of our life. So every time I'm in a struggling place, I have to invite Jesus into that. Why? I will know him and I will know me. I will learn him and I will learn me. And very often when I get in that situation, here's what I'm thinking as I go in. Here's Jesus and here's me. We're together. I get into a circumstance I'm really struggling. I'm really looking at where Jesus is at. And here's what I realized, first of all. We're not this. We're this. We're much further apart than I thought. We're much further apart. We have a lot of space between us. What I thought was this is this. Now I've learned something. I've learned he's not where I thought he was at, and I'm not where I thought I was at. What word do we put after that? But, therefore, you see, I'm not stuck. Now I have knowledge. And this is knowledge that I've gotten through my relationship with Jesus. You know, uh, several months ago I shared, uh, we went to, Melinda and I, to a restaurant in Angleton that I was uh, very disappointed in for a multitude of reasons. And uh, I was, um, you know, I was not responding well at this restaurant, and, and we were leaving, and you couldn't even pay. Nobody would even come take our money. Um, so I am just keep ratcheting my, my anger or my whatever level, my irritation level. And I hadn't really done anything ugly at this moment. But at that moment, uh, this person comes out of the back to take our money, and, you know, I'm ready to kind of address the issue where, I guess you really don't need the money if it takes you five minutes to come get it. We're only like two people in the whole restaurant. Um, Thinking was along those lines. I don't know that I would have said that, but all of a sudden Melinda starts talking to this person about their family in Spanish. This person was Latino. And then she starts sharing. And, And all of a sudden these two were just connecting in a very personal way. And And I realized how far from the center line I was all of a sudden. I realized she's with her and Jesus was with them. And I don't know where I'm at, but I'm not there. But I'm looking on, I'm going, I I thought I was there. I want to be there. I should be there. Come on, guys, let me join you. So I start trying to muscle in a conversation, you know, and and, uh, have some, have some, some joy in that. But you see, It was the Spirit. It was Jesus saying, all right, there's two things that are foreign to you right now. One is me and one is you. And I'm going to show that to you. And I just, I repented and I love to know. I love to know every moment where I am with him. You see, uh, Out of Hebrews, Stella shared the verse where the word, it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to penetrate between the bones and the marrow, between the thoughts and the intentions of every human being. The word of God. Do you know that Jesus is described as the word of God? So if you want to get to know Jesus, I want to tell you what he's doing. He He is dividing and looking at you. He is able to dissect between your thoughts and your intentions. And when they are negative, when they are struggling, when they're in trouble, he wants to share that with you to bring help to you. 
And you see, it's in that moment that you know intimately and personally the person of Jesus. It's because he steps into your place where you're far away, when your thoughts and your motives are cruel or selfish. And he just lets you know. And he's there so that your but, so that your therefore can have substance and power to it. You see, I am never stuck. I am never stuck. I might be in a bad place, but I'm not stuck. I must find the but and the therefore that leads to somewhere different. You see, this is the role of the people of God. This is what we can do for one another. You see, when you're that voice, it's drawing me closer to where Jesus is. When your affirmation, when your encouragement, when your challenge, you see, when you become that to me, it begins to feed my soul. There was one night, uh, two people... Two men were here. Uh, it was after an alpha, I think. And, um, and we were talking after alpha. We were helping to clean up. We were doing actually very little help cleaning up. But other people were cleaning up like we should have been. But, but that's not the point. The point is, <clears throat> we got to talking about Jesus. And, and we got to talking about, uh, you know, things that were going on. And all three of us got more and more and more kind of excited. Pretty soon we're kind of going at one another. Just, it was awesome. And then one of them said, this is good for me. And then the other guy said, we need to do this more often. All right? And then here's what I said. But you won't do it. You see, I don't really like my answer. I don't like my answer. I don't think my answer comes after the but. I think my answer was, yeah, but you're all stuck and I'm stuck and we're not going to. So therefore, this is just a flash in the pan. Isn't that what that kind of says? I could have said, therefore, why don't we do this after Alpha again next week? 20 minutes. You see, we have options in community. I really think, I, my personal opinion, and this is only half-baked here, so if I change my mind next week, you know, you can call me on it. But I, I, I think the truth is many churches have kind of sold out on the home group deal. I think home groups became about food and community and sharing your life. But I don't think most people's lives reflect much Jesus. So when we're sharing about our life, we share about our struggles, but we're rarely sharing Jesus with one another. We're rarely encouraging one another. And so home group becomes something that there are better options and people are too busy. And so home groups often fail. But what if you walked away from a home group encouraged energized in Jesus, connected in ways. I'm not talking about with the church or people. Uh, I, I'm talking about you learned about Jesus, about what he did in somebody's life and how it worked and how it blessed them. I, what about if if every week I'm looking for a genuine story I get to take to bless others. Not so that I can have a story, that you know, because you got a story and so I got to have a story. But I want to bless others. And I think it's possible that I can say to Jesus, hey, as we walk together this week, I'd love to have an experience with you that not only blesses me, but I can take it to others in community. So now you're going to get one of those stories. I'm not sure if any, all of you know, um, April 10th, I had a tonsillectomy.
fear hospitals, and most of all, I fear death, not waking up. Melinda prayed over me, and I always asked to listen to what the Lord has to tell me. When she was done praying, she asked me what he said. And I heard him tell me, do not fear. I have you, I've got this. The, that morning on, the, on Monday, my son and daughter-in-law drove me to the hospital. I was not afraid. I went into the hospital, watched the nurses blow my veins up, trying to get a needle in me, and I laid there. And they kept apologizing. I told them, you know, it's fine. It happens. I was awake when they took me into the operating room. And I did not fear. I was not afraid. For 45 minutes, I woke up in the recovery room with my baby sister next to me. I was in severe pain. I could not swallow. I could not eat. It hurt to even swallow ice cream. No pain medication at all. They ordered it. I couldn't afford to pay for it. I suffered a month with my throat hurting. But in two weeks, my throat was healed. So that teaches you do not fear. God has us. Thank you. <clears throat> you see, she has learned something about Jesus and about fear, and she believes it, doesn't she? That's, she's learned that. You can read that all day long, but that won't change you. But experiencing in your life Jesus coming in and teaching you that about himself changes you. And that's your story that others need to know and hear. I would say that community is the strongest and it is the most important element of your growth outside of you. It's not your job. It's not your career. It's not your, I'm going to say this, it's not your family. I'm not saying you can't get this community with your family. You absolutely can I'm saying to be intentional about getting together with people for the express purpose of celebrating and sharing Jesus. If we just come with our prayer requests and our defeats, I think your home group is doomed. It just gets weighted down and it dies a, you know, miserable death. But and it doesn't mean you don't pray for those things. It means that it has to have a life of hope. It has to be able to celebrate and to reach and to remind and to pull one another into the buts and the therefores as we go forward together. My hope is we start home groups. Lots of home groups. You get together with two people and you celebrate some things and you study some things for two or three weeks and then you do something else for a week and then you take off for two weeks. I don't care. It's that we are all connecting with the purpose of knowing Jesus, of learning him in very practical and very real ways, connecting the word and the spirit and our experiences together. You see, and, and Melinda's actually doing a home group like this. They, they met for three or four weeks, and then they, it was a different group. They decided to do something else. She's always doing something like that. And I do that with smaller groups. But I think you don't have to even be a leader. You just have to be somebody who's learning Jesus and invites others to learn Jesus with you for a few weeks. Lunchtime, breakfast time, nighttime, midnight, at IHOP, I don't it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is there's some intentionality to learn and to celebrate what Jesus has done. The last thing. You have the power and the ability through the spirit of self-awareness 
You have a power and an ability in the spirit for self-awareness. You have the power and the ability to come to that place where you go, <clears throat> well, I really don't care about that. And for your self-awareness meter to go, that's probably not a good thing. I need a bud on that. I need a therefore. I need a however. You see, our self-awareness in the spirit is the quick tool. It's the one a pastor cannot provide you. If I provide you self-awareness, I can say, oh, uh, do you really think that's a good idea? I can say that. Most people won't receive it. Well, if he had done to you what he did to me, blah, 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 blah. I go, okay, that didn't go over. You see where their butt took them? Their butt took them deeper. I was here. He challenged it that maybe I should be there, so I took him this way. Now, depending on my mood, I may power up and I go, well, that's even more sinful. And then you can power up and say, don't judge me, blah, 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 blah. And you take it deeper. And so we're both going away from Jesus. You have a self-awareness. You, the Spirit will help you know you're stuck, you're in trouble, you're angry, you're hurt. You're far away. That is your self-awareness. Only you can really do that piece. Then you have to decide, are you going to leave it the way it is? We're done here.